It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cammie Carlisle. Well, hi, Ryan. It is a cold, not cold, what am I saying? It's a gross, hot, humid, rainy day, but I have a bright piece of sunshine in the studio with me today. Joining me today is Amy Schindler, who is the Director of of Archives and Special Collections at the UNO Chris Library. Amy, welcome. Hi, Kimmy. Thanks for having me. This is great. Absolutely. Well, I love the UNO Archives, and we'll get to that in a just a second, but before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, my name is Amy Schindler. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I was born and raised in a town in West Central Wisconsin called Chippewa Falls, which Woo-hoo. is known for like lakes and vacationing, dairy farms, and uh, supercomputers. So a nice little <laughs> mix of things. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I uh, went to college at UW-Madison, and I was a history major there and did a certificate in Asian American Studies. And while I was an undergrad, that's when I was introduced to the world of archives and learned there, were, there was a profession out there called an archivist. Because um, when, when I went to college, people were like, what are you going to do with a history degree, Amy? Uh-huh. Are you going to teach? And I was like, I don't think that's my calling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to figure it out after I'm there. So I did. Um, so I went to grad school then, because that's what you need to do to become an archivist. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went to Milwaukee and got a couple of degrees in history and library science with an archives concentration. And and um, that, you know, being an archivist, that's been my career for over 20 years now. Wow. And that is a cool career. I have to tell you, I did not really know much about it either until you invited me up to the archives. And I have to tell you, that is the coolest spot on the whole campus. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that compliment, because I think there's lots of cool things at UNO. Oh, I did, too. But yeah. the archives, I could be there, like, forever, just wandering around. Oh, that's great. It's a gem. And I think, you know, I'll talk more, but there's just so many different things in the archives. And um, we're just excited to share it with people and find out what their interest is and what we can match uh, match to them. Oh, there's something in there for everybody. There really yeah. is. So yeah. tell us, when was the archives founded and why was it founded? Sure. Well, you know, um, UNO has had a library since its founding mm-hmm. in 1908. And really the beginning of what is today's archives and special collections, the collections themselves, really started in those early, early decades um, with the acquisition of rare books. There was a huge acquisition of books that became really the heart of the rare book collection in the 1930s Mm. um, when we purchased uh, over 10,000 books from a college in Iowa that was closing. And that included uh, the library of a utopian community that had been partly in Iowa. So it was a French utopian community. So there were lots of French and German and Italian and Latin books. Very cool, right? (laughs) 16th to 17th century. Yeah. So the collection just, you know, started growing from there of books and then archival material. Those are primary sources. So things that document the history of the university um, at that time. And then we get to the 1970s and sort of the profession of being an archivist nationally Mm -hmm. really started to grow and evolve and change. Ah. And then, you know, nationally, we also had the bicentennial in 1976. So people were becoming more aware of like, this thing, local history, we should care about this and document it and mm-hmm. do something. And then c- conveniently, UNO was opening its brand new library, which is today's <laughs> Chris Library. Yep. So all those things came together in the 70s to then create um, what is now called the Archives and Special Collections. Aha. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when did you arrive at the archives? So I've been here um, almost 10 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's like yesterday. Right. Time yeah. flies. Yeah, yeah. So tell us, 
if you can. I know there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff in the archives, yeah. but give us an example, kind of what it ranges from, to and from. You mentioned the books. You mentioned yeah. some other things. but Yeah, so the books, they can be rare books. You know, like there's only a few copies in the world, mm. or there's something unique about our copy of the book, you know, maybe of who it belonged to, or how it had been um, personalized by someone. But we also have collections of, like, specialized books. So um, these might be topical areas where we focus book collecting. So naturally, Omaha history, UNO history. We also have a growing LGBTQ book collection, a great collection of uh, local uh, cookbooks, mm-hmm. you know, from <laughs> I love it. the 19th century uh, yes. forward, you know, so from schools and churches and right. every club and choir and, you know, you can imagine. That's cool. Um, we also have a large collection of books about Afghanistan. Oh. We are, uh, our collection at UNO is the largest collection of books and maps about Afghanistan um, held by a university in this country. Really? Um, probably the number two overall, just behind the Library of Congress. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. How did that come about? So about almost 40 years ago, um, a man by the name of Arthur Paul donated his collection of books to the university because okay. the university in 1972 had created the Center for Afghanistan Studies. Ah, uh, And so they were building up, you know, the research and they were all like, we should collect books. And so Mr. Paul, a white American man contractor, had worked in Afghanistan for the Royal Afghan government in the 60s. And so he collected books and other printed material that he brought back to his house in Connecticut and then he and his wife looked for a place to donate them. And someone said, you should donate them to this new center out in Omaha. <laughs> so they came to the university. And so his 1,200 books have now grown to over 20,000 books and magazines and maps. Yeah. Holy moly. And those yeah. are all there. Those are all there, along wow. with tens of thousands of other books. So, so there's a book collection. And then we have our archives collections. So archival material, that's the primary sources. So mm-hmm. what's the primary source? Yes. Uh, It's things like diaries, journals, photographs, audio recordings, home movies, uh, meeting minutes from clubs and organizations, reports, um, other other documents, um, and electronic records as well as analog or paper material. Wow. So we collect all that from the university, of course, Mm because we're there on UNO's campus. Right. That's part of our primary mission. But then we also collect things from the greater Omaha community. So the archival collections we have from um, Omaha history are things like our Queer Omaha archives that we started in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of material from local performing arts organizations like the opera and the symphony yeah. and the children's theater cool. and, and lots of other things. Um, but then we also have um, things like the YMCA of Omaha's records. They've been around for over 150 years. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, the Chamber oh. of Commerce, their records. Um, but also like U.S. Senator Chuck Hagel, and he was also Secretary of Defense of the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. He's a UNO alum. And so when he was retiring from the U.S. Senate, he donated his Senate collection and has continued to add to it over the years. So lots of Omaha and kind of Nebraska things, but certainly well beyond those borders as well. Oh, yeah. There's so much there. I feel like I could spend hours and hours. So today, besides the archives, we wanted to touch on the Omaha 54. Mm -hmm. I don't know if a lot of our listeners know about this, but they might. So... Uh, you do have a big exhibit up right mm-hmm. now in the archives, right, about mm-hmm. this history, because there was a whole ton of stuff going on in the 60s and 70s yeah. that is still affecting us to today, yeah. negatively and positively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the Omaha 54 were student activists, right, black right. and brown students mm-hmm. that wanted black studies brought to UNO. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was part of their demands. Um, and so that organization was active really in the late 60s into the early early mid-70s. Okay. Um, they were not the first 
student organization created by African-American or black students in, at UNO. Right. Um, there had been a, f- a few organizations before that. Um, one in particular had been advocating since the mid-60s, oh. doing teach-ins and talking about, hey, you know, we need better representation of um, not only black students, but uh, black faculty and staff. Mm-hmm. And hey, can we get some black history courses, <laughs> you know, and literature yeah. courses and, and things like that. You know, students saying we want to see ourselves in, in the history and the curriculum. Um, and so that organization, like I said, they were active for a few years in the mid to late 60s. And then BL, a group called BLAC was formed, Black Liberators for Action on Campus. Ah. And so um, in 1969, they, you know, were advocating for, uh, they had uh, things they wanted the administration to do, like... Mm-hmm creating black studies, but they also were just asking initially for like, hey, can we get a black history course? <laughs> yeah, just one <laughs> you know? would be good. Just yeah. what, you like, know, that's just what one. we're asking for to, to sort of start. Um, uh, but they were also advocating for themselves and other students. Mm-hmm. So in the 1960s, for those of you who don't know a little history lesson, <laughs> overall across the country, um, you had students at colleges and universities um, pushing back at administrations, which had been um, acting uh, for decades in what was called in loco parentis. So administrators at the universities and colleges, they were basically acting as students' parents when students came to college and really controlling what they did. So you think about things like dress codes. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, But that's just the start. You know, dress codes and um, uh, curfews and sort of Mm. rules about how you could behave in in buildings on campus, things like that. Hmm. So, you know, the student activism was building, building, building. Sure. So BLAC, um, they had uh, organized a dance at the Student Center in November 69. And when they got there, um, the staff had not provided them with the equipment they were supposed to. Mm. And, you know, those of you who don't know, you, you can't have a dance if you can't play the music. Right. right? I mean, what fun is that? And no one can hear it. So right. uh, that, was a, that was a bust. You know, they lost money and uh, it didn't go to plan. So the, the students, you know, met and said, okay, this is sort of, this is a trigger point. Or mm, that's a bad analogy. But this is this is the thing. Sure. This We've, we've had enough. We, we need to be firmer. And we've been talking to the administration for years. Let's let's write up our list of demands. So their list of demands was, you know, asking for a removal of certain staff in the oh. student center that um, they felt and other students on campus felt were were controlling mm-hmm. and not really supporting all students on campus. Good. They wanted a restoration of the, the budgets that had previously been provided to student organizations. Uh-huh. They also wanted the entire student center, so that's the student union. Uh-huh. They wanted students on campus to have a role in its governance and management because they were saying, hey, this is our student center, but we have no say. And right. we, all the students, yeah. should have a say in that. Um, and then the curriculum, we talked about that, Black Studies courses, uh-huh. speakers, teachers. And, you know, they were also advocating for uh, college athletes. I did not know that. That's cool. So they were saying they wanted all student athletes who in 69... These were all men, just to be clear. Right. There, there were, were women's sports, but mm-hmm. they were not uh, supported as they are today. Right. But they wanted, you know, um, at the time, UNO didn't have any on-campus housing. That's right. So when they recruited black students, especially from outside of Omaha, those students often had a hard time finding places to live because there was still housing discrimination. Yeah. Even though it was illegal, it was still happening. Yeah. And they also wanted the students, the student athletes to have support like you would at other larger universities. Like, hey, you know. <laughs> workout wear or you know warm-ups and things like that but also what they call training table which is like 
the food, right? Yeah. Give them a food plan. Right. Um, so they were doing things like that that were, you know, specific to the concerns of Black and African American students, but also like, hey, these these impact all of us on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so the students uh, gave their list of demands to uh, Kirk Naylor, who was the chancellor of UNO at the time. Okay. Um, uh, at, at the end of one week, and then. Uh, you know, he said thank you, and and then the following Monday, uh, Naylor had a press conference where he responded to the demands yeah. in the press conference, and basically said uh, thank you, we'll uh, consider these, but oh, promised geez. no action, which mm-hmm. is not a good thing to do. Nope. But then he met with the group um, privately, went back to the meeting room next to his uh, his personal office, and they uh-huh. met, and he sort of reiterated like, "Yep, nope, not going to meet your demands, mm-hmm. <laughs> not going to work with you on creating a plan." Uh, so the students said, "All right, well, um, you know, they had pre-arranged that if this happened, they were going to stage a sit-in." Good. So yep. then the students, and there were over well over fifty-four students there initially, and so at that point, the students said, "Okay, whoever you know has agreed in advance that mm-hmm. they are willing to, you know." sit in. Yeah. Now is the time. Uh, so we're sitting in and those who are not able to sit in, go out in the hallway, leave the room. Um, and then 15 minutes later, uh, the Omaha Public Police Police Department was called. Oh, geez. And they were, they were arrested very quickly. Um, but they were bailed out by community organizations like the NAACP ah. and the Wesley House okay. and um, Ernie Chambers, who wasn't yet a senator at the time. Oh, he also Ernie. helped of course raise he did. funds. Of course he did, of course. right? Of That's course. his MO. Yeah. So the students were um, bailed out of jail later that day, but you know they were taken. There's photos of them you know, being arrested and be, uh, being taken away by police officers from campus and put into paddy wagons booked and only spent some number of hours there but they were having a peaceful sit-in right absolutely peaceful yeah okay yeah oh geez yeah it was a different time it was a really different time Um, one of the things that um you know uh was going on at that time was the previous uh uh unicameral session or you know yeah uh, session they'd passed a law to restrict just this sort of thing. Really? And that was in response to, again, we're in the 60s, so it's in response to, like, the Vietnam War protests, Mm. civil rights protests. So Nebraska had passed this law restricting just this sort of assembly. So this was actually... um, thought to be maybe a test case for that law as well oh yeah yeah why am i not surprised by that yeah yeah (laughs) sadly so they got bailed out and then and then you know lots of people were talking about it um it was you know all over the media um editorials letters the editor um we have in the archives um scrapbooks plural of um letters and cards that people had sent to president naylor Mm, sharing their opinions Mm -hmm. um lots of people not i guess not surprisingly people messaging President or Chancellor uh, Naylor were in, they supported him. But there are certainly people who were saying, oh, we think you made the wrong choice here, the wrong move. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that came out of this on campus was uh, there was uh, an investigation, a committee formed, oh. as often happens. Right. And it was faculty as well as students and administrators. And they did a survey of students and said, you know, what are your feelings on how campus is being run? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just about how do you feel about these students who were arrested, but right. how do you feel about these conditions, these issues that they raised? Yeah, and so that led to some incremental changes then. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, eventually, the students, uh, they uh, the trial was delayed until the spring. Okay, and um, uh, they uh, <laughs> they they worked out an agreement basically. Okay, good. Um, with their, between the lawyer and and the district attorney, and so um, two of the students had a higher fine 
um, that they had to pay. Okay. And then the other students um, didn't have to pay that fine, but they were on probation. And if oh, they successfully geez. made it through probation for six months, then their records would be expunged. And this was really key and important to these students because um, a good chunk of the students, you know, they were on, they had financial aid, they had scholarships. Right. And so some of them, you know, that had been a concern before the protest yeah, and immediately I'm sure. after was why did you know that the students being arrested could threaten their scholarships and financial aid and their ability to like complete college so um yeah it was not a they, the students didn't win quote unquote win in right. the courts or anything but i think you know long term historically in court of public opinion um you know they were on the right side of history wow i just yeah. i can't even begin to think about what would have happened or not happened if they had not done that mm-hmm. yeah because they really brought out to in a very public way for both you know the predominantly white Omaha World Herald newspaper as well as you know the black newspapers in town and press to talk about these issues at the mm-hmm. same time and in a much more um, forthright way right to maybe had been happening and you know keep in mind you know I talked about the Vietnam War protests that have been happening around this the state but also the country mm-hmm. but here in Omaha one of the um, things I should have mentioned that really led to this action and the students at this time being like, we are not taking this anymore, was in June 1969, Mm -hmm. a young girl in Omaha named Vivian Strong. She was 14. She was killed by an Omaha police officer um, at a a little uh, impromptu dance party. Yeah. Um, And uh, there's a historical marker going up in her honor um, on the... Friday, July 28th. Oh, I'm so glad Check the internet for the details. And they just dedicated a street to her at the end of June, right before Juneteenth Day, or middle of June. Good. So you can learn lots more about Vivian Strong. But the students have talked about how, obviously, that was... You know that it, that was that was part of their life. That was part of their lived experience. Right? Was that murder that had just happened, and you know, other things happening before that? Other obviously in the fifties and sixties, but um, you know, it uh, it kind of a lot of things feed together. Yeah, you know, I find it so astounding that I don't know how long have schools been around. And it took until the early 70s to get black studies taught in colleges. But yet I'm not surprised Mm -hmm. because as a gay lady, I didn't see anything about (laughs) gay people until one paragraph in college. Wow. One paragraph. paragraph. And I got to tell you, at first I was like, hey. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. where's the rest of it? You know? So it's just stunning to me, American history, how Mm -hmm. much has been omitted and is still being omitted. Absolutely. change or you know to fit the narrative right and people picking and choosing what they what they want to share and not share so the first department of black studies in this country was formed in 1968 Mm -hmm. at san francisco state university so the fact that omaha's was officially launched in the fall of 1971 yeah is you know that's impressive and we've managed to hold on to it for over 50 years now oh Um, yeah we have a great black studies i i took so many black studies class i loved it wonderful it was so I mean, it was all the yeah. stuff I never was taught. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I would always come home like, listen to this. Did, did you, you know this? Did you know this? Right. Because yeah. how could we? Right. right. I think you, I, I, I was thinking about this. Um, I was really fortunate, you know, as a child. So I grew up in a, this smaller town, 13,000, 14,000 people. Uh-huh. But as a kid, you know, we did travel a little bit. Like sure. outside of our community and outside of the state. 
So I was aware of a bigger world. My parents always had the newspaper. We always watched the evening news, mm-hmm. you know, the national news. I was aware of things happening. But also, I had a middle school teacher who had Mrs. Lutzen, shout out. Um, <laughs> she had like this little personal library in her in the in her homeroom, and I had homeroom and social studies with her. And that was the first time I ever read the autobiography of Malcolm X or ah. read Dick Gregory's first memoir. And was like, I, you know, I maybe the Malcolm X movie hadn't, by, uh, hadn't come out yet. Right. But it was the first probably time I really knew anything about Malcolm X. Yeah. And I'd certainly never heard of Dick Gregory. Um, nope. He was an activist and comedian. For those of you who don't know, look him up. Amazing person. Um, incredible, incredible story of his life. Um, but, you know, so having that exposure and that awareness. Right was just um, not typical. So, you know, as I'm going through, you know, the rest of middle school and high school, and I'm like, I'm, I'm noticing what's not there. Right. So when I get to college, uh-huh. I'm this history major, and I was pretty intentional and knew, knew all these gaps. Well, I didn't know all of them. Let's be clear. I didn't know all of them. <laughs> give myself too much credit. But I was aware there were gaps. Right. You know, I, as a woman, I hadn't seen my history represented. No. You know, other than like... <sighs> Um, you the know, suffragettes, we got a vote. Maybe, maybe if we got that far. Okay. But like the Martha Washington, maybe, you know, like that yeah, was it. you're right. Yeah. Um, so I was where like, I, I wanted to know more about women's history, right? And mm-hmm. then I knew there was this black history I hadn't gotten in school. And, and then Asian American history and Chicano and Latino history. Right. And then later I was like, oh, there's this whole thing called LGBTQ plus history. Right. <laughs> that came even later for me, sadly. Yeah. But like, you know, so in college I was taking those classes and yes. I, was, uh, I, I dropped more than one founding father's course I'm just going to tell you yeah. that, but um, <laughs> boring. Yeah, so I mean, I was we've taken heard it. history and literature courses and uh-huh. sociology classes because that really interests me because I'd never heard that, and that's I wanted to learn new things. Right. Same when yeah. I enrolled in women's mm-hmm. studies, my head blew up yeah. again. Like, wait a minute, what? I mean, there's so much they don't <laughs> mm-hmm. teach you K through 12, and they can't because even then, before you know, massive testing, there was still just too much to get through every year. Right. But, but there's a better way to do curriculum that is more inclusive and yes, accessible. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So right now mm-hmm. you have up a big yes. uh, Omaha 54 display. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Yeah. So um, so as I said, uh, two years ago was the 50th anniversary of Black Studies. And so we did a big display for that. And then out of that, we created a traveling exhibit and online exhibit. So this year, 2023, is the 54th anniversary oh. of the Omaha oh. 54. Okay. See what I did there? See what uh, I did there? I see. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Love it. So, so we have an exhibit up this summer honoring cool. the Omaha 54. Um, so folks can come in and see that whenever the library is open, um, which is uh, we're on the, it's on the first floor of the library. And uh, parking is open on the weekends, FYI. So weekend oh. hours, Saturday, 9 to 5, Sunday, noon to 9, uh, Monday through Thursday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., Friday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. PM. And you know, if you want to come in on a Monday through Friday, contact me and I can probably connect you with some parking. So yeah. a little tip there. Yeah. Um, but that, that show has just some of the material we have in the archives about the Omaha 54. So it's some of those letters, you know, that uh, people were sending to the president in response, links mm-hmm. to oral history interviews done with some of the 54 students, Ooh, yeah, cool. um, newspaper clippings, yearbooks, all kinds of all kinds of that sort of documentation about the experience and, and the events. Awesome. Yeah. How long is it up for? Oh, that's going to be up through September 3rd. So up through uh, Labor Day weekend. Okay, yeah. good. And you know, yeah. besides this, which is going to mm-hmm. be incredible, I want to come see it. I mean, just yeah. visit the archives. Can somebody yeah. come in and maybe I should, Absolutely. before I speak no, too no. soon, if somebody wants to come in and say, mm-hmm. Amy, Show me the archives. Can they do yeah. that? Absolutely. So if, if you want to come in and just um, you want a tour, like you just want me to give you an introduction to the archives, 
awesome, we can do that. But if you just go to our website and you start poking around in our database and you find out like, oh, they've got a lot about, you know, Omaha music history. I want to come in and look at these old postcards and LPs. You're just, you're welcome to come in anytime we're open. Appointments are not required, but you can let us know you're coming and we're happy to happy to help you out there. Um, we also have a portion of our collections are digitized and online. Mm-hmm. So when you're searching our database, if something's been digitized, there'll be a link to it. So like um, a good chunk of the Omaha 54 material is was digitized two years ago for the Black Studies 50th, but oh. not all of it because we've received more donations. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> yeah. So there's always more, always more happening. So yeah, we're open to the public. People people think, oh, it's only for students or UNO people, but no, we are open to anyone. Uh, no, no advanced uh, permission required. I love yeah. it. I had no idea you were open on the weekends, so I'm going to be swinging up because uh, okay. I'm the in li- the archives. The library is <laughs> open on the weekends. The archives is not. I okay, good. Oh, okay, good I to know. Guess. Good yeah. to know. Well, tell but, me yeah. then, so when you take all this stuff mm-hmm. down, it goes back into the archives. Yeah. Now, I have had the pleasure of being in the archives several times because you have invited me to be in the archives. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different mm-hmm. show. We're very honored. Thank you. Yes. I'm honored, too. To have but it is so cool. I always say it's kind of like James Bond because it's like you go into this back room and mm-hmm. I don't know maybe I need to get out more but it's so cool because you push these buttons and like psh- the shelving moves yeah so t- 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 Cammy Cammy got the the special you know back back of the house backstage tour yeah um, so one of the things about archives and special collections is you know these archival materials since they are unique no one else has these scrapbooks or photo albums that or home movies. Mm-hmm. You can't come in. You don't come in and check them out. Um, they stay in the archives. Right. So you come in and we have a, a nice, comfortable room with tables and chairs, and you can camp out there and bring your camera phone and just take all the pictures you want of, of things that we have. But then yeah. Cami has seen the the secure storage room that has um, additional security from the rest of the library and additional um, temperature and humidity controls yeah. and fire suppression and so it's. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's so if Omaha like burns down, that's still going to be standing. Hopefully, that's, yeah. that's oh, yeah. the plan. That is to. so cool. I mean, if a sinkhole comes, we're we're out of luck. Right. <laughs> fires, we should be good. Yeah. Tornadoes, we should be good. We're, on the, we're on the lower level. We're on the first floor. Hopefully, we'll make, we'll survive the, the tornadoes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Ooh. Well, tell us if somebody <laughs> yeah. has a collection, or, or oh, I mean, yeah. is there a certain like. Mm-hmm. Like somebody can't just call you up and like, hey, I got all this stuff. Or well, can they? It people depends. do all the time. Okay. Yeah. So folks will um, frequently call and say, hey, I have this thing. Mm-hmm. Earlier this week, um, a gentleman called and said, hey, I have this videotape about this event. And I've got the copy of this speech about this other event. Mm-hmm. Do you want it? And uh, I called him back. I was like, thank you for thinking of us. We actually already have that video recording. So we don't need your copy. And okay. actually, we digitize it. It's online. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, I will take a copy of that speech you have. Um, but sometimes people will call and they have something that just doesn't relate to our collections. Right. And sort of what we already have or what we want to add, build. So, um, you know, like, for example, someone um, in the past uh, contacted me and said, oh, I have this this great photo of uh, my great grandfather's like World War One um, army unit. Yeah. You know, and I was and I was like, oh, are they a Omaha person or no, they're from. Another state, I won't say where. And they had all these things about their great-grandfather. I was like, well, that's really neat, and that sounds very interesting. I can give you some advice about how to care for it in mm-hmm. your home, but we're not the place for it. And then I gave them some suggestions. I said, if in the future you do want to donate it somewhere else, here's some others, um, other museums, archives, or libraries that might be a better fit for it. Right. So that happens all the time. But So it really yeah. should be Omaha-related, Nebraska-related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we'll get some other sort of special areas of interest, like the Afghanistan materials, Secretary Hagel, um, 
uh, we'll, you know, we had someone contact us about um, some things related to the American Indian movement oh, in good. the 70s that mm-hmm. they had. And I was like, why did you think of us? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but after talking with them and, and learning about what they had, we, it was like, oh, we, we are a good fit for that, even though it's not specific to Omaha or Nebraska. So it's it's usually a conversation okay. with people about what they have. So Well, what's um, a good phone number where somebody could yeah. call you and say, I found this box of stuff? Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I get that call all the time, so right? don't, don't be scared. Um, yeah, you can reach me at 402-554-6046. Okay. I prefer email. Okay. It's U-N-O-A-S-C at unomaha.edu. Okay, and then what is the website for oh, the yes. archives? Um, well, you can go to unomaha.edu mm-hmm. backslash Chris hyphen library and Chris is spelled C-R-I-S-S and then the toolbar there'll be a link there to archives and special collections so you can click on click on that and you can learn certainly more about the collecting areas we have um, my contact information is there and other the current exhibits we have and, and all that good stuff is there yeah awesome well Amy we could talk about this forever oh, and I just love the archives folks you're missing out if you haven't visited mm-hmm. and if you can go see the Omaha 54 display and again, call Amy if you want to go visit. Give me a call. Yeah, it really is you. something. It's kind of a hidden treasure, I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. So, Amy, thank you for coming on and sharing all of this. I absolutely love what you do, and I'm very grateful that we have you. Oh, thank you so much, Cammie. Thanks absolutely. for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book Service. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.